You are listening to The Catholic Wire. This episode is the second part of Lesson 9 of the Baltimore Catechism. Going into this section here, um, the, I want to cover the sins of the Holy, against the Holy Ghost. That's kind of a, an interesting topic, and it's something that I think uh, a lot of Catholics uh, don't know very much. I didn't know it until I joined the seminary, or the monastery, mm-hmm. I should say. And uh, the concept between the sins of the Holy Ghost, for those who do, don't know it, in uh, a part of the Gospel, our Lord says that whoever sins against Him, against the Son, uh, against the Son of Man, his sins will be forgiven him, He says. But whoever sins mm-hmm. against the Holy Ghost, He says, his sins will not be forgiven. And so that's, that immediately uh, prompts the question, what are those sins that cannot be forgiven? Right, something uh, that it, uh, a lot of people are understandably concerned about. Yeah, of course. I mean, if you hear that, it's like, oh, well, what are those? And the right, did why I do we, it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, you're worried about that. Like, right. Can I go to confession for those? And the reason why they can't be forgiven is because these sins are a direct resist. Is it, do you say in English direct or direct? Uh, I think you can say either. Okay, thank you so much. I knew I was right. <laughs> <laughs> the the sins against the Holy Ghost are a direct resistance to grace. To get rid of any sin, to get the forgiveness of any sin, you have to receive grace from God. You have to receive grace to dispose your soul and then the grace to actually get out of sin. Uh, but if you are actually sinning against grace, directly against grace, then grace cannot come. And so you cannot be forgiven. It's not that God would be unwilling to forgive them uh, just out of some law or something, but it's just that it's impossible. It's an impossibility because you cannot be disposed to be forgiven those sins because you are fighting against God himself, against grace himself. And so I'm going to list here those sins against the Holy Ghost. The first one is despairing of salvation. And that means that's basically what Judas did. That, that's the point where you say, it's impossible for me to save my soul. God is not going to have mercy on me, no matter what I do. And, mm-hmm. and that would be, that tells us that it's almost 12 o'clock. That would be the first sin against the Holy Ghost. The second one would be the opposite, presumption of salvation. When a person cultivates in his own soul the idea that no matter what he does, no matter how many sins he commits, no matter how much he resists grace, at one point he will be saved anyways. And this this actually should be scary because if you think about it, I don't know I don't know what you think about about it, brother, but I think it's a it could be it could be a little bit a uh, it could be a kind of like what happens with the manner of thinking of Protestants. Mm-hmm. You know, well, they're they're, they're famous uh, for that, right? Yeah, well, the idea that just, my, I, I'm saved already. Yes. Yes. Exactly. And that's, that's kind of presumption of salvation. You know, it's like, no matter what I do, no matter what, what happens or, you know, how bad I am, 
uh, I'm saved. Mm-hmm. And that's, it's scary. It's a sin against the Holy Ghost. And what our Lord said in the, in the gospel, you know, those sins will not be forgiven. The third one. So when, is, when he says, sorry. Go ahead, go ahead. Well, I, I guess I'm going to, I'm going to interrupt you and take you on quite a long tangent here though, because I, I, when we say that those sins cannot be forgiven, um, they could be right. If, if you repented, if you had committed the sin of despair or presumption and, we're truly sorry, you would be forgiven, right? Yes. Yes. So the, the, when they say cannot be forgiven, is uh, it means a sin exists. You know, while that sin exists, while it perdures, while it's there, it cannot be forgiven. But wouldn't, like, to be pedantic, I guess, wouldn't that be nope. the same with any sin? While, while you're doing it and you don't repent, you can't be forgiven. Yes, in, in a certain way. But, for example, I'm thinking, you know, you could say a lie, and that lie could be, I mean, you might never actually take back that lie. You might never correct it, but you could still be forgiven. You know, if you, you might still repent. But yeah, I mean, it's true. Any sin, well, you, as long as you don't repent, uh, it will not be forgiven. But the thing is this, any sin, even, even in the act of committing the sin, you are still able to receive some grace from God, at least to dispose yourself to get out of the sin or to stop sinning. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying sanctifying grace necessarily, but God can give you at least the disposition to try to step out of sin. Uh, give you an example, a really uh, practical example of this. All right. Let's say that two people are living in sin. They're living without being married. Right. And even in that state of sin, they may receive from God help to dispose their souls to repentance. They're not receiving sanctifying grace, but they're receiving something which we could call, in a certain way, an aid from God to help them repent right? Mm. Even though they're in the state of sin. In but the, 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 the souls that, that are tepid and presumptuous won't receive that grace. No, but here's the thing, like, uh, that's, that's exactly the point. When you're sinning against the Holy Ghost, you are putting a hindrance to any kind of help or, or grace that mm. you could receive from God. So if you're, for example, you might have two people that are living together, but perhaps, uh, you know, they don't. They 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 acknowledge that they're not going to save their souls like that, mm-hmm. and at the same time, they don't despair. You know, they say, "Well, I, there might be a way I can get out of." We'll this. sort it out before we die. Well, that, at least they try to. They're kind of trapped at that moment, but mm-hmm. they're not putting that that hindrance. So there might be a way where God can help them out and you know give them the grace to maybe correct their their situation, but. If you have a, a person that is living in sin and at the same time they're saying, I don't care, I'm going to be saved. You know, I'm going to be saved no matter what I do because this and that. Or they're saying, there's no way I'm going to be saved anyway, so I'm not going to even try. That part, mm-hmm. that attitude is a sin against the Holy Ghost and that's what prevents them to correct mm-hmm. th- that, that situation. So, yeah, that's, that's I mean, it's a, it's a scary topic. The third so, one, but for, for those of our listeners out there who are concerned you know, have I committed the sin against the Holy Ghost and I can't be forgiven? You can put put them at ease, right? Definitely, yeah, <laughs> definitely. I mean, the, any sin, any sin, as long as we repent, they are forgiven us because the moment that you repent from these sins, then you're not committing it anymore. And then mm-hmm. God gives you the grace to come out of it. So the third one would be, the third one is actually very, very common nowadays, very common, and you know, when you see, for example, people that are uh, fighting for abortion, 
Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you've noticed, brother, whenever you see these kind of uh, the people that are fighting for abortion or fighting for LGBTQ or all this kind of stuff, and you will see in them a certain stubbornness. They're unwilling to reason. Have you seen that? Yeah, I guess so. Like, like you can tell them something and you can win the argument. Like, if you argue with them, you'll give them your arguments and you win. It's like I find that most of the time they're not willing to argue. Well, they're not willing to argue reasonably, right? Like, they just basically yell at you the same thing. You know, they yell at you the same uh, motto, but they're not willing to even go down into a discussion. And that's exactly the third sin, is the denying of a recognized truth. When you know Mm -hmm. that something is truth, uh, is true, and, and, and you perfectly well see it, but you refuse to acknowledge it. And that's, that's exactly what happens there. It happens with this kind of people. It happens with people, for example, that are in a false religion, and they see that the true religion is the Catholic Church. And even though they see it, they refuse to acknowledge it because they know what, that that would entail certain changes in their lives or certain, right. certain consequences. An example of this, a classic example of this, is the Pharisees at the time of our Lord. And that was mm-hmm. actually, that was when our Lord told them about the sins of the Holy Ghost. That was the point he was making, because the Pharisees were seeing clearly that in our Lord, the prophecies were being fulfilled, that our Lord was a good man. They were seeing that miracles were being done, and they recognized the truth of the miracles. They never, they never denied it. But they said, even though this is a miracle, we have to, we have to put it down. We have to silence it. We cannot let people know about it. Right. It was actually uh, in that context, they they said that his miracles were the work of Beelzebub, right? And that's when our Lord mentioned the sins against the Holy Ghost. Yes. It's like, okay, everything here is telling you the truth and you know it. And and all you're doing is refusing to tell, to acknowledge the truth. And that was precisely the sins of the Pharisees. And and it kept going, you know, our Lord, our Lord, even uh, our Lord even told them, in that their sins would not be forgiven, that they would die in their sin. And that was because they refused to see the truth in that matter. And the I guess that, one, that stubborn refusal continues to this day. Sadly, yeah, in many people, uh, many people, not, not everyone, you know, uh, the truth is there is a lot of uh, Jewish people out there that receive a false notion of the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. The same thing happens with Protestants. They receive a false history, a false idea of what the church is. Uh, I know for a fact that in, in many Jewish communities, the the history that they learn from the Holy Church is uh, the Inquisition, and you know the church persecuted the Jews and it killed the Jews, and you know it's always been a tyrannical society and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that is not true. When you study history, you will realize that all of that is not true. We cannot go into that tangent right now. Right. But so many Jews actually just have a, a, a wrong training, a wrong education that, that, that they don't have the true facts. Others right. Unlike know. the Pharisees. The Pharisees actually knew, knew all the truth. And they knew right. they were, our Lord told them, you were, you knew the law. You know, they knew the law, but they refused to acknowledge the fulfillment of the prophecies. So uh, we, I don't want to, we still have a lot to go. So I'm going to go really quickly over the next ones. The fourth one is to envy the grace that God gives to other people. Not only envy, but actually envy grace, envy sanctity. You know, uh, that's what Satan basically did. Mm. The fifth one is obstinacy in sin. When you are in sin, 
and you're aware that you're in sin and you're aware that you're going to lose your soul and you still remain obstinate in that. You don't want to correct it. The sixth one would be final impenitence. And what that means is basically that moment at the time of death or near death when you refuse to repent. And that would be a sin against the Holy Ghost. Uh, each one of these would, you know, we would be able to talk a lot about it, but those are the sins against the Holy Ghost. And, and if you see them, they're a, a direct resistance to grace. And that's why it's impossible for them to be forgiven as long as the soul does not come out of it. All right, that makes sense. I think that's all the comments that we would have here. So let's go on to the final set of questions. First one, was St. Paul an apostle? St. Paul was an apostle, but as he was not called till after the ascension of our Lord, he is not numbered among the twelve. He is called the apostle of the Gentiles, that is, of all those who were not of Jewish religion or members of the church of the old law. How did St. Paul become an apostle? While on his way to persecute the Christians, St. Paul was miraculously converted and called to be an apostle by our Lord himself who spoke to him. St. Paul was called Saul before his conversion. Who were the evangelists? St. Matthew, St. Mark, St. Luke, and St. John are called evangelists because they wrote the four Gospels bearing their names. And Evangelia is the Latin name for Gospels. St. Mark and St. Luke were not apostles, but St. Matthew and St. John were both apostles and evangelists. Why did not the apostles fully understand when Christ himself taught them? They did not fully understand when Christ himself taught them because during his stay with them on earth, they were only apostles and their minds were yet filled with many worldly thoughts and desires that were to be removed at the coming of the Holy Ghost. Will the Holy Ghost abide with the church forever? The Holy Ghost will abide with the church forever and guide it in the way of holiness and truth. What benefit do we derive from the knowledge that the Holy Ghost will abide with the Church forever? From the knowledge that the Holy Ghost will abide with the Church forever, we are made certain that the Church can never teach us falsehood and can never be destroyed by the enemies of our faith. What visible power was given to the Apostles through the coming of the Holy Ghost? Through the coming of the Holy Ghost, the Apostles received the gift of tongues, by which they could be understood in every language, though they preached in only one. Why did such wonderful gifts accompany confirmation, or the coming of the Holy Ghost, in the first ages of the Church? These gifts accompanied confirmation in these first ages of the Church to prove the power, truth, and divine character of Christianity to those who otherwise might not believe, and to draw the attention of all to the establishment of the Christian Church. Why are these signs not continued everywhere at the present time? These signs are not continued everywhere at the present time because now that the Church is fully established and its divine character and power proved in other ways, such signs are no longer necessary. Were such powers as the gift of tongues a part of the Sacrament of Confirmation? These uh, powers were not a part of the Sacrament of Confirmation, but they were added to it by the Holy Ghost when necessary for the good of the Church. And that concludes the questions in this section. So, Father, what can you tell us about these final answers? Well, first, uh, when it comes to the to Saint Paul, remember that Saint Paul and Saint Peter are, are called the princes of the, the 
the princes? Is that the plural of princes? Yes. Okay. The princes of the apostles. And that's because St. Peter, so to speak, uh, uh, symbolized the preaching of the apostles to the Jews. The first preaching of the gospel was given to the Jews. That was a promise that God had given them. And so the first uh, people that, were, that received the gospel were actually the Jews. In general, mm -hmm. the Jewish people did not receive it. But in particular, many Jewish people did receive the gospel. And actually, the first disciples, the, the first part of the church was established through Jewish people who were converted to Christianity. Right. And St. Paul had the other mission. St. Paul had the mission to preach to the Gentiles. And, and that means basically to all the rest of the world. He says in one of his... Uh, of his epistles that he works he says it like this he says that he has worked more than the other apostles and that's that's not a lack of humility he's just stating a fact there and well it, it's kind of understood when you think that he had a lot more people to cover later on the other apostles also started preaching to the gentiles but never without uh, without uh, relinquishing the preaching to the jewish people until the moment where the Jewish people finally just rejected that revelation, rejected the, the revelation of the Messiah. And you can read that. That's the end, actually, of the Acts of the Apostles, that moment where St. Paul tells them, announces them as a prophet, that this uh, revelation has passed to the Gentiles, that the, the, the alliance has passed to the Gentiles. Mm. Uh, that would, a lot of people are going to have a lot of questions that this would be going into a different chapter. The evangelists. We have four evangelists. Two of them were apostles, and that means that they knew our Lord. That was uh, Saint Mark and uh, excuse me, no, uh, Saint Matthew and Saint John. But Saint Mark and Saint Luke uh, also knew the apostles, and they also knew uh, the first sources where they received their information from the people that knew our Lord. Saint Luke is called the. Uh, he's he's basically told to receive the gospel from Saint Paul. St. Luke was a disciple, disciple of St. Paul. And also, it is said that St. Luke received his information from our Blessed Mother herself. Mm -hmm. And the, re the, the way we know this is because some of the things that he says in his gospel, he, there is no other way he would have known them except from the lips of the Virgin Mary. Mm -hmm. St. Mark, as most people know, is uh, the one that transmits the teaching of St. Peter. St. Mark was a disciple of St. Peter. So all the four evangelists were people that were in deep connection, you know, very, very well informed from the first sources of the gospel. So were there always only the four gospels? There are many other apocryphal gospels. Um, apocryphal means that they were never approved as uh, revealed books from by the church. Uh, mm -hmm. Was that what your question meant to? Right. Was meant to? Yeah. There are actually many. There's, I think... I'm going to do a, a wild guess here, but 15 or 20, if I remember correctly. There's a lot of Gospels. And that one needs to understand this properly. Uh, there are many apocryphal books. And the reason mm -hmm. why that is, is because in those times, in the times of the Apostles, there was not such a code of uh, honor, so to speak, when it comes to the literary works. What I mean to say is, nowadays, if I go out and I write a book and I name it, uh, you know, Book So-and-So by Va Father Chekada, people mm -hmm. would, you know, kill Father Chekada, may he rest in peace. 
people would see that yes. very, very badly, right? They would see like, you know, just the mention of it would be outrageous. Uh, because mm-hmm. now we have that code, you know, where you cannot, you have uh, that copyright and people would see it. It would be very frowned upon if you dare take someone else's name to write your book. In the times of the apostles, the times of the Greeks and the Romans, that was a common practice. It wasn't frowned upon. So it was something that you would do. You would normally go out and write a book and name it something else and under someone else's name. And it was almost like a, using a pseudonym, you know. People would do that commonly, so very, very commonly. That's why we have many works from uh, from philosophers, from Plato, from Aristotle, from other saints at, from the time that we don't know if they belong to them or not because this was such a widespread practice. So many Christians yeah. wrote things and they named it the gospel of this or the gospel of that or the revelation of, of this or that. And they didn't mean to deceive people. But that was just a common practice at the time. Or at least we presume that they didn't mean to deceive people. Uh, but the, the Gospels that are sure, that are certainly uh, authentic, are these four. And this this is not something that we learn now. It's a tradition that was held always in the Church. Even from the time of St. Jerome. St. Jerome lived in the, in the 4th century. This is the 300s. And he knew perfectly well that these four books were the ones that were universally accepted in the church as authentic, while the other ones were doubtful or even just plain or right recognized as apocryphal. Mm-hmm. Now, brother, the, the other point I would like to comment on is the fact that the Holy Ghost will abide with the church forever. Right. This is a, a promise that our Lord himself does in the gospel. You know, we sing that in the hymn. He says, you know, that he will abide with you forever. And this is something that is very relevant for Protestants, for people that do not accept the Catholic Church as the true church. Because what our Lord is saying here is this. He is saying, the church that I establish and the church that you, the apostles, are beginning right now with the coming of the Holy Ghost, that church is always going to have the Holy Ghost dwelling in it. There's no point where he's not going to have it. He will dwell with you forever. And so that totally destroys the point that Luther or Calvin or all these people make. You know, because basically what they based themselves on is saying, yes, the Church of Christ was right, but at one point it got corrupted, it lost sanctity, and so it was necessary for me, Luther, to come over here and start it again. Mm. Same thing with Calvin. And the thing is, when you say that, you're putting a lie on our Lord. You're calling our Lord a liar. With all the respect, you know, I don't mean to say that, but that's what, what's happening. Because when you're saying that our Lord promised that, and it didn't happen. That the Holy Ghost did not abide by the, with the church forever. And so that's, that's impossible. You cannot make that, that statement without blaspheming. And that's, that's a huge point for Protestants and for, well, every Christian, really. Every Christian who receives the teaching of our Lord, you have to be aware of the fact that there has to be a church that has been perfect in teaching, in doctrine, all the time, since the time of Christ till the end of the world. Now, it's up to you to study and to realize which church that would be. But there has to be one. Or, or otherwise, the whole of the gospel, and the whole, you cannot be a Christian otherwise. If you are a Christian, 
there has to be a church that has that because that's what Christ promised. And that's why this point of the Holy Ghost is super important, very, very important. And that's why in the Apostles' Creed, they're together. You say, I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, because one point leads to the other. You believe in the Holy Ghost, therefore, you believe in the Holy Catholic Church, because they are both linked without being able to separate them. The Holy Ghost has to dwell in the church forever. And I think that's that's probably the, the most important comment I can make on these questions over here. All right. I think that is a, a very important point. I just thought of one more, brother. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I forgot about this one. Um, there's the question that they come at, out at the end when they say... Uh, you know, and this is a question that also comes a lot by Protestants. You see that a lot of, uh, I, I don't mean, I don't have anything against Protestants right now. Is I don't mean to like, you know, bash on them on this episode. It's just a lot of things are concerning people who are non-Catholic. Mm-hmm. Uh, you see a lot of religions or Protestant denominations where they have so-called miracles. and they The have, gift you know, of tongues. The, yeah, the gift of tongues and all that stuff. Right. Um I knew a lady, I talked to a lady, actually, she's a friend of mine, that uh, when, she's a Protestant, actually, she's not a, well, she's Catholic, but she hasn't fully converted. Mm. And she used to go to all kinds of Protestant churches. And one time she went to one of the churches and they brought her to the stage with a friend. And they started doing that thing where they put your hand, their hand on the forehead and they receive the Holy Ghost and they fall down to the ground and they start. Um, shaking around shaking around and doing all that stuff <laughs> and so she was with her friend and they touch her friend and the friend goes down to the floor immediately and starts you know bouncing all over the place and she's like what are you doing and then they touch the guy comes and he's you know slaps her in the forehead and she goes like stop it and then the guy slaps her again and she's like stop it what are you doing and he's like you have to go down and he's like no I'm not doing that <laughs> and she just like destroyed the whole show there and, and the Maybe was like, she was putting up an obstacle to the Holy Ghost's coming. Maybe, I don't know. <laughs> so they took her out of the stage. Um, and, you know, uh, we'll, we'll cover that maybe at the end of the episode. But the, <laughs> point, the point that I'm trying to make here is that uh, most of those things are not necessarily supernatural or even uh, real at all. Why, why was it that the Holy Ghost had so many miracles at the beginning of the church and that doesn't happen so much now. Uh, the Catechism gives us the answer, but I just want to say one comment on that. Mm-hmm. St. Paul tells us in, in his epistles, he says, signs are given for non-believers. In other words, signs are given to those that don't have the faith so that they get the faith. He means miracles. Right. But to those who believe, they don't need miracles anymore. St. Paul, when he was writing this, I'm not quoting, obviously, verbatim, but when he was writing this, he was making a distinction between the Jews and the pagans. And he was saying, signs, miracles are meant for pagans because they don't know the faith. They don't know the truth. That's how God teaches them. That's how God convinces them. For the Jews, he was saying, who have the faith, who know the truth, they know they do not need signs. They don't need miracles. That applies to us. Miracles are meant for those who don't know the truth and the faith and they don't believe because they need it. But when we are instructed in the faith, we don't need miracles anymore because we believe that. I hope I'm making myself... Am I making myself clear? Yeah. 
So, <laughs> like, Christians who are, you know, who grow up Catholic and receive confirmation, you know, with, with all of the children of their age, don't need the miracles because they already believe it. Exactly. They already have the faith. And so um, we, see the, we see an example of this that uh, I sexually addressed in the birth of our Lord. When our Lord was born, how did the Magi, who were pagans, how did they find out about the birth of our Lord? They found from out the sky. from the star, yeah, a sign. Mm. It wasn't a revelation. They didn't know the words, but it was a sign that was given them. However, the Jews, the shepherds, they found out by words. It was an angel that told them the Messiah has come. So they, they didn't need a sign. They just needed to be told. And that's, that's kind of like an example of what I'm saying here. Now, I know what you're thinking, brother. Don't ask the question. <laughs> okay. Just kidding. Uh, uh, I'm actually not sure what question that would have been. But uh, I guess, um, so throughout history, has it sometimes been the case then that when people would evangelize in areas where the people, you know, had never heard uh, of, of, you know, had had no revelation this was the first they were hearing of the true faith you would see miracles like maybe from saint francis xavier or especially saint uh, francisco solano had a lot of miracles in in south america mm -hmm. yeah yeah you'd see that you know whenever there was a preaching to pagans who had never received the faith uh, you would see a lot of miracles a lot of supernatural mm -hmm. things going on even here in mexico And that also, you know, when we come to this point, it kind of explains, I don't, know, I don't know what you think. I mean, let me know if you think it's true, but I think it explains also why you don't see much, many miracles in this age. And that's because this is an age of apostasy. We all know the truth of the gospel. We have heard it before. And so it's not like in the first times where people had never learned about the gospel And so they received miracles. Now it's like we know about the gospel, but we rejected it. So there's not only there's no need for miracles, we don't deserve miracles anymore. Mm -hmm. So there, there are still miracles, but they are, you know, scarce. scarce. And is that how you say it? Uh, scarce, if you mean like they're, they're uncommon. Yeah. I think scarce the miracles that you get today tend to be like of a personal nature rather than something, you know, flashy like like yes. you know fire and tongues it'll be things like you know all of the coincidences that lead somebody to embrace the true faith and some of those can be really impressive but not in that same you know <laughs> external way definitely definitely and i've seen those i mean i can talk about some of those uh we will actually if you're listening to this show look at the try to get get a hold of the show back to the faith from the Catholic Wire, and you'll hear some of those stories. Yeah, there okay. are some miracles like that. Uh, so that's kind of the point, you know, is, is to bring people to the faith. Right. That, I, think, I think that was all the comments I was going to make, perhaps. And, yeah, that would be all from my okay. part. Okay. Then we'll, uh, we'll wrap up this very long episode. Thank you for joining us, Father. Thank you, brother. Thank you for having me. This has been What Every Catholic Should Know. Thank you for joining us. This has been your host, Brother Alexius, and you're listening to The Catholic Wire. Thank you for listening to The Catholic Wire. 
If you have found this show helpful, please say a prayer for all our collaborators. Don't forget to subscribe to our channels and share with your friends. For questions and comments, you may contact us at thecatholicwire.org.